Um, well, good morning, guys. We're in Judges uh, chapter 4 this morning, uh, so you can get your Bibles open to Judges chapter 4. Um, It is an amazing privilege to be back home, uh, to be back with you guys. I was up north for a week, and I was just uh, blown away, uh, astounded really, as I met some people. And when I met them, uh, some people said, um, you know, I pray for you every day. Like, you know, a little old lady, so I believed her. <laughs> you cannot not. I pray for you every day. I thought to myself, wow. And then I heard others, as I went to other churches, saying this, we pray for you every day. There are people in our sister churches up north who pray for all of you as a congregation, as a church, every day. And that blows my mind. And I thank the Lord for partnership in the gospel like that. And there was one lady who said to us, you know, said to me, you know, we pray every day for you. And, and then she was wondering, she said to me, she said, I, I, I wasn't sure were you actually going to come this week? Because, you know, I, I, I send out prayer requests of kind of what we might do during the week. And, and this week I sent out a prayer request that we had, you know, the men's group on. And that we had, you know, people helping out with the culture night. And that we had, you know, the Friday, Friday study adults and kids club and whatever. And she said, when I saw all that, I thought you weren't coming. I thought you weren't going to be coming. And the inference was this. If you're not there... That stuff doesn't happen. That's what she was alluding to. If that ever ends up being the case, that will ruin our church and it will ruin me and our family. Because what we need as Christians is not just to come in and watch the game. Christianity isn't a spectator sport. Come in and watch the game. What we need is Christians who will come in and get into the game in such a way that actually if I was to die tomorrow, this church wouldn't need me. If Brendan was to die tomorrow, this church wouldn't need him. Why? Because it is so much bigger. And I thank God the reality is if that actually were to happen, I think you'd be fine. Because we not only have one pastor elder, we have two. We not only have one deacon, we have two. And we don't just have one congregant here, we have many. And what we need as a people is not just to sit back and watch the game, we need to get into it. And it also reminded me, when she shared that with me, it reminded me of another time when I visited a church. And I visited the church, I, I said to this lady, is there anything I can do to help? And she said, no, it's, it's okay. And I said, oh, you know, because they're using hymn books. I said, oh, could we, I put out the hymn books maybe or something. Do you know what she said to me? She said, oh, usually the pastor does that. Puts out the hymn books. I mean, and I'm thinking in my head, I didn't say this to her, but I'm thinking in my head, you have two hands, you have two feet, you can put out the hymn books. But the reality was there was kind of this, this feeling in the church that everybody else came to watch what the guy did up front and no one was getting in the game. 
And so what I think this passage encourages us to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that we might just watch Christianity happening. We might just watch the battle take place, but we might actually get involved. And so as you look at this account, you'll remember what it starts with. The pattern that we've seen in the book of Judges throughout all of the Judges is that pattern, that kind of downward spiral of sin, suffering, sadness, and salvation. That is the pattern that we see throughout the Judges, sin, suffering, sadness, and salvation. And so when we come to this account, where do you think this account is going to begin? This account is going to begin with sin. Chapter 4 verse 1 says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. See, it says that word again, again. The people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord again. And one of the reasons they did that, why? Ehud died. You see, they had lost their leadership. Joshua died, Othniel died, Ehud died, Shamgar died. And when the leader dies, everything crumbles. And they sinned again. They got caught in this pattern again. And after the sin, what happens? There is suffering. Verse 2, it says this, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in whatever that place is pronounced. That's where he... I forgot to practice that, so I'm not even going to try. That's the reality. It was a long drive from the north yesterday. The reality is they come into this place of suffering. And when God sends suffering to his people, it's kind of like a discipline. And it's not a discipline to annihilate his people. When the Lord disciplines his people, he is not seeking to destroy them. When he is disciplining his people, what is he doing? He's seeking to draw them back to him. And so sometimes you'll find that, you know, when you get at the bottom of the barrel in your life, when things are hard in your life, what happens to your prayer life? It increases. Sometimes God uses pain and suffering and sorrow in our lives to draw us closer to Him. And that's what He does. Sin, suffering, and what happens then? It is sadness. Verse 3, it says this, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, For he had, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. The people cried out to the Lord. The people cried out to the Lord for salvation. And the reason the people cried out to the Lord was because they had 900 chariots. They had the best military that you could have at the time. And the reason this is an issue for them to be afraid of this is because back in Deuteronomy, God's people were instructed to do certain things. You see, the book of Deuteronomy actually feeds what they're supposed to do in the book of Judges. So for example, God's people, when they were to come into the land, the book of Deuteronomy says, don't intermarry with the people of the land. And what ends up happening in the book of Judges? They intermarry with the people in the land. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, when you get into the land, do not worship their idols. Get into the land and tear all their idols down. Do not leave them standing. What happens? They go into the land and they leave all the idols standing. 
And then we are told in Deuteronomy something about the chariots. It says this, and I'll remind you, it says this, when you go to war, Deuteronomy 20 verse 1, when you go to war against your enemies in the land and see their horses and their chariots and a great army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. When you see the chariots, don't be afraid. And what happened in chapter 1 when Judah was going, taking the land? What happened in chapter 1, verse 19? They saw the chariots and everything changed. And here, what happens in this account? They see the chariots and they are afraid. They think they will be defeated. And so they cry out to the Lord. And what we know is that the Lord is going to bring salvation. That's why I had Valerie read chapter 5 to you, because what chapter 5 was is a salvation song. It was the victory song. So we already know they are going to win the victory. And here's what God's people do. When God's people, when they win a victory, when they were in a battle, do you know what God's people do? We sing. And so chapter 5 is a song of victory that Valerie read out for us. So we know that salvation is coming. We already know the end of the story. But the thing is, we don't know how. And in the book of Judges, what you will see is that salvation always comes in some of the most unexpected of ways. You had Ehud before. It says this of Ehud. Um, God raised up Ehud, the son of Gerar, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Now, the passage could have just said, the Lord raised up Ehud and left it at that. But no, the passage says, the Lord raised up Ehud, son of Gerar, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Which means if God is going to bring salvation through him, it's going to be in an unexpected way. Because to be a Benjaminite, you can translate it that, son of the right hand. Except this Benjaminite is left-handed. And the God is going to use this weakness to get himself glory. God is going to bring salvation in an unexpected way. And what we hear in this passage is again, God is going to bring salvation in an unexpected way. Look at what verse 4 says. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labatoth, was judging Israel at that time. Now, Deborah, that's an unexpected thing for them to say. A prophetess, a wife. And you kind of think to yourself, as you look at this translation in the original, there's one word that is missing. And in fact, I looked at it, one word that is missing in our English translations. I looked at it in every English translation I could find, and I found that no translation translated the word. And I wondered, I thought, maybe I'm reading it wrong, maybe I'm a bit off or whatever, and I found this random paper where this guy had translated it how I think it should be translated. Because I think it is so key to the story. Because in the account, we're told at the very start who Deborah is. And the way the translation should read, there's this word in Hebrew, Isha, that is there, but not translated in English, probably because they think it is redundant, but it is not redundant. Why? Because the way it reads is this. Stay with me. I know you're kind of like, what the? What's going on? Stay with me. Here it is. Now, Deborah, a woman, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. 
Deborah, a woman, a prophetess, and a wife. Wouldn't you know already by the name Deborah that she's a woman? Why would it need to tell us Deborah, a woman, a prophetess, and a wife? Because God is going to save in an unexpected way. God is going to do it through a woman. God is going to do it through the faith of a woman. And in those days, in the military battles, you would have been leaning on who? The man. But God is going to do it through a woman. And what we find out about Deborah is a few things. Yes, Deborah is a prophetess. Yes, Deborah is a judge. Yes, Deborah is a wife. Yes, Deborah is a woman. But the most important thing we find out about Deborah is this, that Deborah trusts in the Lord. Look at what it says. Skip down to verse 6. It says this. So she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I I will give him into your hands. So Deborah comes to Barak, the man, the warrior, and she says, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, delivered these 900 chariots into your hand? You see, when Deborah sees the 900 chariots, Deborah says, The Lord has got this. When she sees the 900 chariots, Deborah doesn't see it as a defeat. She sees it as a victory because she knows the Lord has got this. It's almost like with David and Goliath. Everybody saw Goliath. They were standing back and David stands up and he says, the Lord has got this. And this is what Deborah does when she comes into this battle. When she calls Barak, she says, has not the Lord promised this victory for us? And what Deborah is exhibiting here is an extraordinary faith in the face of fear. The Lord takes this woman and uses her for him. That's her faith. But what about the man's fear? She stands strong. She says, has not the Lord got this? But look at the man's fear. Verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not be to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of who? A woman. That's why I think that word woman is so important at the start. They don't leave the translation out there. Sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went Barak, with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. What you've got is a contrast in this passage between the fearless faith of this woman, Deborah, and the cowardice of this man, Barak. And it is amazing to me when I see this passage of how God uses this woman for His glory. 
Do you know what? As I see my daughters, it is my prayer that my daughters would not just sit back and watch the game of Christianity, but that they would get into the game. That they would see the chariots of this world, that my daughters would see the chariots of this world, and they would not fear, they would not see defeat, but they would see the chariots of this world, and they would see victory. That is the prayer for my daughters. And throughout the Scripture, what you see actually in the Bible is countless women standing up in the face of defeat. Rahab stands in faith in the face of defeat. Ruth, the Moabite, stands in fearless faith in the face of defeat. Mary, the virgin, faith in the face of defeat. It is amazing to see. Now, those women weren't perfect. Those women weren't sinless. But those women had fearless faith. And that's not what I just want for my daughters. I would love to see that for every woman in this church. That you would see the chariots of this world and you wouldn't respond with fear, but you would respond with faith and knowing that the Lord, He has got this. When I think of this account, I also think of a, of a woman by the name of Perpetua. Perpetua was a woman, a Christian in North Africa in AD 200. She wrote her diary, and how we get her account was actually from her diary that she had written back then, and then also someone ended her her account. They wrote it down for her because she couldn't write the rest. She ended up in in prison, in, in jail because of her faith. She was doing baptism classes at the time. The Roman soldiers came in, and they took her out. And so she just had a newborn. They brought her into jail. She had a newborn, and her father was pleading with her to recant the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away, recant your saying, don't trust in him. She said this to her father. There was obviously a vase there or something. She said, Father, do you see this vase in front of you? He said, yes. She said, Father, can that vase be anything that it is not? Can that vase be something else? The father said, no. She said, well, father, I'm a Christian. I can't be anything else but what I am. You're telling me to throw away Jesus just because they say that that they're going to kill me and just because of my child, but I cannot be anything that I am not. And so she refused to recant. After that, she was thrown into the stadium, and she was killed in a very vicious and gruesome way. In the face of fear, she stood for the Lord, and she said, the Lord has got this. That's my prayer for the women in this church, that you would not stand back and sit back, but that you would get into the game in whatever way the Lord has gifted you to get into the game. Because the Lord has gifted men and women equally. We all have gifts. And the Lord has given us these gifts not to sit back and watch, but to get into the game. And so I'd encourage the women in this church to do this. You know, um, 
was it two Wednesdays ago, they had the, the women's meeting in, 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 in our house, and, and I managed to get downstairs for a second. I, I, I went down with much fear and trembling, and I, and I went down, and, and, and just to see the women in the room, that one was one of the greatest encouragements for my heart, to see you there studying about idols, because we all have idols in our hearts and in our lives, don't we? We all do. And what you're doing when you study about the idols that we all have, you're getting into the game at that point. You're not just watching on. You know that you have a battle in your hands. You know that you have a fight on your hands against all the idols in your life. And so you're getting into the game. I would just encourage you, keep going. Keep using the gifts that the Lord has given you. And keep fighting and serving Him. And while I would say that both men and women are are equally gifted before the Lord. We do not have equal roles before the Lord. Because I don't know if you noticed this, but men and women, they're different. Have you noticed that? Men and women are different. And the insane thing is that's actually a controversial statement now. To say that men and women are different. But I'm married and I realize we are. And I have a boy, and I have girls, and I realize they're different. They are, not by virtue of just the fact of their personalities. And I'm not even saying by the color of clothes they wear or the toys they play with. There is an innate difference between men and women. And if you just want to simply say, biology will tell us that. We're different, we're distinct. And, and while the Lord would say, tell us that we, have, um, that we have the same gifts, it is true in Scripture that we have different roles. So you will see in Scripture that the priests in the Old Testament, the priests in the Old Testament, there are no female priests, there are only male priests of a certain family, of a certain line. You will see in the New Testament, when it talks about leadership in the church, it will not talk about about female pastors or female elders, it will talk about male pastors and male elders and overseers. That is, that is not to go against, you know, females' giftings and females' um, faith, but it is to say that men and women were different and distinct. And so what the Lord has done is He set apart different roles for men and for women. But what can happen to us men sometimes, is sometimes we are very guilty of sitting back and watching the game while everybody else is playing. And you see, this is what Barak does. You see, the account actually isn't about, you know, a a woman standing up and leading. The passage is actually a rebuke against the man who stands back and says, I'll go if you go with me. You know, if you hold my hand to battle, I'll go. It's actually a rebuke against the men. And so what I'd say and encourage the men in this church is to not just sit back and watch the game, but get into the game. Get into the battle. Because Christianity is not just... um, Christianity is not just, you know, this light little thing that we go through at life. Paul told us in Ephesians that we are at war. 
Paul told us in Ephesians that we are to take up our, our sword and our, and our shield of faith. We are to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, I was reading this week that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not sitting around. He hates what we are doing this morning. He hates what I'm saying to you this morning. He wants men. He wants men and loves men that will sit back on the couch and leave all the women at it. That's what he wants from our men. And we have to stand against that man. We have to stand up for the Lord Jesus. Fight for him and lead. You know, I think the women in this church don't necessarily want flowers and chocolates. I think they want a man who stands and loves Jesus. That's what I think they want, ultimately. Now, flowers and chocolate's not going to go wrong with that, obviously. But a man who loves Jesus and who gets in the game, that's what we want. And Barak, he's a warning to the men. Don't stand back. Get in the game. But for him, he doesn't stay on the couch. They get ready for battle. They get ready against the 900 chariots. And if you go down to verse 14, it says this. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. She says to him, Up. What was he doing? He was probably sitting down. Get up. Go out to battle. You know, some of our marriages might be like that. Will you ever get up and go to church? Get up and go to the meeting. Get up and fight. Deborah does that. Does not the Lord go out before you, she says. This is her fearless faith. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Yes, he got up and he went into battle. And the Lord rooted Sisera and all the chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot, got down from the horse and and fled on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to that place, whatever you pronounce it. And the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. The Lord had used both this man and this woman to win the victory. I believe that both men and women are equal in dignity, in value, and in worth. And yet we are distinct in our roles, in what God has called us to do. There is a distinction. But you know the beautiful thing that happens when both men and women serve the Lord together in their distinct roles, in a complementary way, together, great things can happen. And so it is my prayer for this church that we would not just see primarily the women going after it and the men sitting back. And that we would not primarily just see the men going after it and the women sitting back. But that God would use us both in our distinct, unique roles to fight the fight of faith. And through that, I believe, the Lord will get all glory and honor and praise if both of us don't sit back and if both of us get in the game. And so there is this reality that they defeat all of the men, 
They defeat all of the army, Deborah and Barak together, all of this army, they defeat Sisera's army, and it says not one man was left except for one person. It was Sisera. You see, Sisera wasn't almighty in his chariots. It says in the passage that Barak and his men, they went on foot against the chariots. And then at the end of the battle, it says Sisera got off, and who now is on foot? It is him, and he is running away, and when Sisera runs away, he comes, if you'll allow me to summarize, he comes down to this tent of Jael, and Jael meets him outside of her tent, and she says, come on into to my tent. She welcomes him in, Sisera, come on into my tent. He's, he comes on in, and, and, and then we're told, you know, she welcomes him into the tent, and she gets this rug. <laughs> she gets this rug, and she covers it over him. And then it says, he, 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 says, he says, oh, can I have a drink? So she gets him nicely with the cover over him. And, and she goes, he asks for water, but you know what she gets him? She gets him some milk. Some milk for Sisera. She kind of tucks him in and, and gives him his cup of milk. And he lies down and he says to her, he says, if a man comes, if a man comes to the outside of the tent, you tell him that no one is here. So little Sisera is tucked up all nicely with his milk and his rug all over him. And Jael stands out. And I want you to hear what happens next. Verse 21. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him. And she drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And then the most unnecessary words of it in the Bible, so he died. Do you think he died after that? Yes. You know, it was bedtime in the dean's household a few years back. I was telling them stories through the book of Judges, and I told them the story of Ehud, you know, when Ehud got the sword and he shoved it into the belly, and um, after that service, people came to me and they said, did your children ever sleep when they were younger? And so here I was telling them this account, and I said to them, you know, um, Jael came and said to Sisera, you know, come in and, and, and lay Sisera down. And, and, and Jael got the rug and tucked him all nice into the bed and, and got him his cup of milk and brought it to him. And he went. And then Jael went outside the tent and she grabbed the tent peg and she grabbed the mallet. and She came over to him and thrust it into his temple. And a hand shot up. It was Talitha's hand. Talitha said, Daddy, yes, Talitha, is Jael a boy or a girl? I said, she's a girl. She said, yes! <laughs> Delighted at the victory that the Lord had given through the hands of who? through the hands of a woman. Men, if you sit back, let me tell you this, if you sit back, the Lord is going to do it through some other way. The Lord is going to do it through some other means. The Lord will bring about His victory 
the Lord will bring about his salvation. But this battle, it's not about Deborah's victory. This battle is not about Barak's victory. This battle is not about Jael. You see, all people will use this passage. This is not a passage to build your theology about who leads. It's not a passage for that. It's not a passage for that. This passage is not about Deborah's victory or Barak's victory or Jael's victory. This passage is about the victory of God. Verse 23 says this, So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Whose victory was it? Verse 23 says, On that day, God. It was by the hand of God. It was the Lord God who won this battle. It was the Lord God who won this victory. And that is what that song in chapter 5 is all about that Valerie read to us. It is the Lord's victory. It is the Lord's battle. Battle belongs to the Lord. And at the end, if you'll allow me just to read verse 24 of chapter 5 in the song. This is the verses Valerie didn't read. It says this of the battle. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Of the tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg. And her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. You get this kind of picture in the way it's written. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. He sank, he fell, dead. That's the picture of the song. But what it tells us is actually a picture of the Lord's salvation. Because what did she do? She crushed the head of the evil one. In Genesis, there is this promise that yes, the serpent will strike her heel, but she will crush his head. It is the promise of the gospel. It is the first mention of the gospel. And from that time on, you see this battle happening between two seeds, this battle happening between the seed of the serpent and the seed of this woman, the battle happening between evil and, and good. Right the way throughout the Scripture, you have this battle between these two seeds, the battle between Cain and Abel, the battle between Isaac and Ishmael, the battle between um, uh, Esau and Jacob. The battle between David and Goliath. The battle between Jael and Sisera. The battle between Israel and Egypt. The battle between Israel and Babylon. The battle between Israel and Assyria. The battle in the desert between Jesus and Satan. The battle that led all the way to the cross. And the battle that led to our victory when he rose again and crushed the head of the serpent. And the battle that one day will end in our own victory song. When we say this, salvation 
belongs to the Lord. And you'll notice at the end of the song it says this, and the land had rest for 40 years. After Othniel it says the land had rest for 40 years. After Ehud it said the land had rest for 80 years. After this it says the land had rest for 40 years. One day when the Lord brings us salvation, it won't be 40 years. It won't be 80 years of rest. It will be years upon years upon years upon years of absolute rest in which salvation has come and the head of the serpent is crushed. And that is a day that I long for when the Lord's salvation comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful account, Lord Jesus, of how you have brought about your salvation. We pray, Lord Jesus, that all glory and honor and praise will go to your name as we as men and as we as women seek to use our giftings for your glory in a way that honors and blesses your name. Help the husbands in this church live for you and lead. Pray for the wives in this church that they'll seek to live for you and honor you in the gifts that they have. Let us serve you together. In your precious name, amen.